Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast, the podcast devoted to the only school that is your 2023 irrigation troubleshooting national champions, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, the most prestigious and important championship in all of college uh, competitions. We will say it wasn't even close. Uh, there was no doubt. No doubt was left at all. We were like 30 points ahead. Who we took down? Kansas State, I believe. We beat Michigan State was second. Okay, yeah. So we we earned MSU uh, back from from them. Um, irrigation troubleshooting you. That's obviously the most important thing. Uh, God bless Sicko's committee for putting those out there. All of the non NCAA national championships. I was hoping we'd get something out of that. Like I was like, I don't know how many how much of that that we do. And also, <clears throat> there, I know. I'm good friends with Mia Robertson, Steve Robertson's daughter, who is like the most goaded debater and probably in the history of college debate, who I know has, I, I know there's like two versions of debate that schools do. And we do one version and some schools do another, but like she has never lost. And our team has, has won four national championships in a row while she was there. She just graduated. So how come, well, I haven't seen us for that either. Yeah. Um, you know, you do have to feel good about the country to know that Army uh, won. What was it? Combat weapons. Uh, oh, that was that was apropos for sure. The the, the best thing was the, I think the first one that Sickos Committee put out that, um, oh God, what was it? What what was it called? Uh, I think BYU won belly dancing. That, that's something. It was a split that's, national that's... championship. Uh, uh I gotta pull, pull this up between Kansas State. And Iowa State, who are rivals, by the way. The nickname of that rivalry is Farmageddon, which is incredible. Um, but K State and Iowa State, did they split? split ag, did they split like the four H title. It, it was an ag. It was an ag thing for sure. Um, I'm trying. This is great podcasting here as I scroll through Sicko's committee timeline, which is mostly right now pictures of a certain schedule reveal graphic. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to find it. Wait, 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 wait. If this is the first one, that was four weeks ago. Yeah. Um, that, that's right. Okay, whatever. Um, they split. Oh, it was agriculture. crop judging. It was crop, crop judging. judging. I just crop remembered. Judging. That was that was that wasn't that wasn't the first one, but that was one of them. Yeah, crop judging. Yeah. Uh, I think most of you can. Did we even do the the introductions here? I'm Colton. Yeah, Colton's back on the show. You know me, it's Andrew. You've been stuck with me for a while. Um, Dan could not make tonight. He had some technical difficulties, but is Colton's... that the only reason I'm here? Yes. Ouch. He told me it's yesterday summer. there was a chance he wasn't going to be able to, but he was going to try. Um, and like literally at about basically two minutes before I texted you, I texted him, "Hey, going to be good to go tonight?" Which he said, "No." So so I texted you, uh, and that's why Colton's uh, on the show. This is a uh... This hurts. I mean, it's not like I founded the show or anything, but it's okay, I guess. I'm joking. Uh, that's fine. <clears throat> yeah, so Colton back, um, which is probably good because there is a topic that he'll probably be better at speaking on in this episode uh, that really we don't have a lot of news on, but we need to discuss it some. Um, and as we know, Colton is the biggest insider when it comes to Mississippi State's pitching coach. Uh, given some of the information that was put out there a few days ago. Uh, uh, so I, 
when we talked about this episode last week, I was pretty confident. All right, we're going to be able to talk about the, the 2024 opponents reveal for the SEC, which we will talk about that in this episode. And we should be able to discuss the new pitching coach hire. I was like, you know, we'll we'll get Lounge on to give his opinion since he's Mr. Baseball. Uh, State still has not hired a pitching coach. Um, Apparently things with – I think the pitching coach is in – I think the pitching coach is in Omaha. That would be incredible. I don't know about it. Um, but, you know, uh, Rob Walton was the name that there was a lot of smoke around for, for quite some time. It was never – and I think we mentioned this on the show. Uh, it was never as like a surefire thing as maybe it was suggested initially. But things got cloudy with him, and basically it was now – like, you know, you get the reports from Steve, that Steve Robertson, that it, it's not, you know, not going to be him. Then the other big name that – really got a lot of steam was Mike Silva, the head coach at Nichols State. Um, and obviously you saw our podcast account tweet out that there's a very good chance Silva would be named the head coach. Now, Colton I did not clarify. Gomez it though. I did Colton not Gomez did that thing. Clarify, he was not guaranteeing it. He was not staking his career on it. And to be fair to Colton, he okay I, and I, I explained this in some comments, but also my account was private at that time, so it's not everybody was seeing it. Um, because there were there were a few responses. Basically, that got put out like at the same time that Steve Robertson put one of his you know coaching update updates on the message board. So the assumption was, and there was an update about Silva, basically suggesting like this could happen very very soon. The assumption was, oh yeah, because you just you guys just read two four seven. And while Colton did mention, you know, he has a connection to Steve, that's not where he got this information from. This was not him just – I'm not on Gene's page. He's not on Gene's page. He wasn't talking to – you know, he wasn't just copying a report. He genuinely had his own connect, uh, link to get info on this. And it sounded well, I, like – Well, I heard – I'll explain. I heard the stuff that's going on Gene's page. And so I text a buddy who's, like, really close with Nichols, and I was like, yo, is, like, y'all's coach trying to – get out and he's like I really don't expect him to be the coach here next year and and I was like would he go to a pitching coach and he's like for an SEC team absolutely like he would go from a head coach to a pitching coach basically my my thought process was it's hard for somebody I know it's a big jump from Nichols to Mississippi State but it is hard to be your to be the boss and then go work for somebody and so that's what I asked like would he do that that was my only hesitancy and then he's like, oh, yeah, like he'd go be a pitching coach for sure. And so that's what I was like, okay, so if they – if this guy doesn't expect him to be there next year, then I can – I feel like put two to two together, like we're in good shape. And then I even asked – I was like, is it LSU? He's like, I don't think he'll be at LSU. And the reason I say that is because that big, that stud pitcher that, uh, that they have that's probably going to transfer, or he might already be in the portal, I don't know. Um, he doesn't want to go to LSU. Now, LSU might make him an offer he can't refuse. So he might end up at LSU, but like his thought process is LSU snubbed him, da 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 da. And I don't think that that's cool because I could have gone to LSU as a freshman. So I went to Nichols instead and because they snubbed me and I showed balled out. So he has like a grudge against LSU. And I, and I think they want to like go to, not that the pigeon coach would stake his career on one kid, but that made, the, that made, the guy said, yeah, he was probably lean towards going somewhere where he could bring his stud pitcher with him. And um, I forget the kid's name. But, I uh, either, but So I don't think he's going to – I don't necessarily think Silva's going to go to LSU. 
So basically my thought process was he doesn't, my friend doesn't expect him to be at Nichols and he doesn't think the job he's leaving for is LSU. Plus we're hearing that he's getting hired here. I mean, it was, I don't think it was too big a judge. No, it wasn't. And look, the the reports that were, were being put out from obviously from our own, you know, insiders was that this seemed kind of, kind of imminent and a hire could be made at any time. And you mentioned the transfer, and that was kind of – essentially, if you were getting on board with the hire, that was going to be the selling point, is that he was going to be bringing on a legitimate big-time ace um, from Nichols to, to join along, which is something Mississippi State badly needs. He was going to be, bring a few other pitchers with him as well, based on the rumors that were out there. Um, but then a few hours later, it fell apart, and he was not going to be on the way. Uh, and – Kind of became a question of, you know, okay, well, what's happening here? And I, if you're wondering, is he going to go to LSU now? I don't know. Uh, you know, I I don't have any information on that. I mean, and like, I don't mind in this case talking about some of Steve's reporting because, frankly, like at by the time you guys – like most of the stuff is already getting out on social media anyway. And, like, we'll, I'll talk about some of the stuff from his latest update because by the time you guys hear this, he's going to have made a new update already and most of this information will have already spread anywhere. So – I don't feel like I'm, I'm doing anything where it's like I'm, you know, spreading classified information just for paid subscribers at this point. Basically, everybody kind of knows what's going on. But uh, anyway, Steve does not necessarily think he's going to end up at, at, at LSU and that he might. So I, I don't know what the deal is. I there. mean, he said that on the Boneyard. So. Yeah, OK. Um, I haven't listened to his podcast in quite some time. The name that has I, come I, up. I hadn't listened to it until for a couple weeks until this week. The name that has come up the last few days with a lot of smoke behind it is Justin Parker, who is the pitching coach uh, for South Carolina. Um, I mean, this past year, Gamecocks, obviously great season. They go to a Super Regional. Pitching staff was, had a 4-1-9 ERA. That was second in the SEC, 12th in the country. Um, 4-1-9 was second? Yes. I mean, it was just a bad year for pitching anyway, guys. Like, 4-1-9 is good, but that's usually not second in the conference. 12th nationally. Um, yeah, that's for as a staff ERA. That's anyway. Yeah, and look, I'm not, not going to say not that we weren't bad, but we we were. But I'm not going to sit here and like dive deep into stats or anything. I, I think, no. yeah, there's, there's no point. But I mean, look, he, he's unless really he gets nice hired. This we can dive his, deep uh, into stats if he gets hired. Yeah, this is his second season there, and the interesting thing with that is, you know, why was that a move that you would make? Obviously, we understand the prestige of Mississippi State, but South Carolina is a really good baseball program. They've won multiple national championships. I know it's been kind of a down run for them for quite some time, but they were much improved this season. Um, and, I mean, look, that, that's a program you can win big at, so why would you make a move, especially when there are questions about the future at Mississippi State? Basically, the rundown on this is Mark Kingston, the head coach of South Carolina, he's got – He's got interest in the Miami job that's come open. Um, and obviously Miami, that's a job that coaches are going to take if they get the opportunity. Um, he, he's a candidate for the job. Parker mm-hmm. enjoys working with uh, Kingston, but he's not really interested in going to Miami. That's sort of like the the inside, <laughs> literally inside baseball on the situation. That That's not a move that he's looking to make right now. He doesn't necessarily want to go anywhere, but – he, you know, he's not he's not going to stick around in South Carolina more than likely 
if the coach leaves and Miami's not a place he wants to go, that's where a job like Mississippi State could come into it. Um, LSU does seem to have shown some interest, but maybe it's not nearly as much as the way Lamonis is targeting it. Uh, there was also some word, and this was something else Steve said. I mean, Lamonis like, has ties to that state, too. Right. Well, also, this guy was at – he was not with Lamonis because Lamonis was already gone, but, he, but previously he was at Indiana. Um, yeah, so there's, some, so there's, there's some probably connect. some – I'm sure there's some sort of a connection there, even though they didn't coach together at IU. Um, and he had success as a pitching coach in Indiana. Now, the other thing Steve mentioned is that Cincinnati is potentially considering Parker as a head coach, but that if you don't keep up with, like, the gambling stuff, that, that big scandal, Cincinnati baseball – like, we know Alabama baseball. Cincinnati baseball was actually involved as well. So, you know, is that a situation he wants to walk into? That's crazy. Yeah. It kind of sounds like like just going off of what the reporting has been. It doesn't sound to me like Justin Parker's all that interested in going somewhere. But he might find it sort of be semi-forced into doing so. In which case, if you're Mississippi State, you have an opportunity. Problem is, we're not hearing any other names now at this point. And I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of leaving it up to a guy who, whether or not he's an option for State, basically comes down to whether or not the guy he's working for gets another job, which is not a guarantee. And then, you know, you're competing head-to-head with LSU, which we can just be honest, is a better gig. I'm not going to, like, not say that. So, Uh, it is. I'm not doing this argument right now. It is a better job. Um, I think it comes down to who's willing to pay more. And we've shown we're ready to spend on baseball. If LSU cuts a check for, like, $800,000, I mean, and we're not willing to do that, yeah. But the facilities over here are better. The fan base, fan support is com- is absolutely comparable. The re- recent su- recent success favors us, except for the last two years. Okay, but you also have to consider. Uh, here we are doing the argument. The this only thing point. I would give LSU is LSU has more money to spend on players, and and if that that might be the what LSU gets the edge. I'm, that's it. That's all I would say. First, keep, yeah, okay, keep going. yeah, but yes, there's a better chance of working with a higher level of talent. I know Mississippi State gets incredible talent, but like the high, ceiling is higher at LSU because of what they can do in the NIL game. There's also just the fact that you're walking into a situation where it's pretty well established. Like at this point, I'm not even going to say Lamone is getting to the tournament is enough for him to keep his job. He probably has to have a really good season next year if he's okay, actually yeah. going to stick okay. around. That's 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 fair. Which is a if you're a pitching coach, like nobody's oblivious to that fact in the coaching community. That's fair. So I, I think that's probably shying guys away from wanting to come and take this job. And well, you got to hire somebody that would be a candidate for the head coaching job if Lamonis is fired. I, you got to make a promise as an AD. You got to be. You got to look. Be like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, look. If we're stuck next year and it's not because of the pitching, you can you are on the fast track to the head coach. I think that's a very tough situation to actually have to manage in a really tough coaching dynamic. I also think that's not a smart move to make short term. Don't guarantee it. I I understand that, but like still, I I don't know if I'm looking at the, obviously you want to get the best pitching coach possible. So, and those guys naturally would be head coaching candidates, but I feel like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to be making a decision like, okay, well, could I see this guy being our head coach? Frankly, I'm just thinking get the very best option at pitching coach possible. Um, 
But apparently MSU is struggling to do that. And this process is not speeding up. And I'm not going to see, like, somebody could say, well, just give it time, like, let it play out. Oh, there's still guys in Omaha. I don't know how realistic it is that State's getting any of those guys. I mean, the guy from Wake Forest, I know everybody's obsessed with him. I don't see it happening. I would be shocked at this point. Um, So this, to me, is concerning. Like, if you get Parker, fantastic. If that happens, good on Lamonis. You got a good quality coach from a SEC program, a good SEC program at that. You should feel pretty good about what the program's going to do the next season. Or – Got, you hope you will have improvement the next season. I don't know who the other options are at this point, though, that are realistic that are going to come in and like, I don't know if you're going to get a name that's going to get people excited. That doesn't mean you can't get a good coach because obviously there are great coaches out there that are at programs that you and are guys you're just not familiar with. But I, I don't know. At this point, it's getting very iffy. It depends on for me, like, if first of all, if he's in Omaha. If it's, you know, Tennessee's pitching coach wouldn't be terrible. Uh, either either the head coach or the pitching coach of Oral Roberts wouldn't be terrible. They were a top 10 staff in the country this year. They, they were 23-1 and one in their conference. I mean, obviously it's a lesser conference, but you have a comparable level of talent to those teams, and you're getting the job done. And if you don't have a – and if you're a, more talented than those teams, well, that means you can recruit. So that or – who else was named? I mean – I, Steve acted like there was uh, candidates in Omaha. I'm not really sure how many there are. I mean, you know it's not LSU's pitching coach. If he's in Omaha, that's fine. If he's Justin Parker, that's fine. If this is like the Barbe situation, which we all thought lingered out, and turns out they pretty much, you know, got who they wanted, I'm, uh, for, for one I can tell. It doesn't seem like – it seemed like we were all left in the dark and scrambling, but turns out it was all fine. Then good. The only problem here is I was like, it's a race to like get guys in the portal, out of the portal, excuse me. And there's already been some guys starting to commit to teams left and right. You know, none of the, I don't think any of like the super high priority targets have committed, but we need to start getting some arms in here. To be fair, along that point, I don't think the portal need. It's quite as strong as we think it is. It's pretty strong, but it's not like you have to get 12 pitchers out of the portal this year. But you do need uh, one or two weekend starters for sure. So you got to get those. That's the only thing that concerns me about the time it's taking. I would rather them take their time and make a good hire than make a hire quickly because they need to get it done quick. You know what I mean? I agree. It's just the perception of it right now is not great. And well, again, it all depends. Were we trying to hire Silva and couldn't? That would be horrible. I don't think that's what happened. That that does not make any sense to me. I think if we, I think if we were trying to hire Silva, we'd have had it. So if, was that like a Mike Bobo thing, where it was all smoke the whole time? We were never actually going to do it. I think S- Steve legitimately used the fr- he. I'm, I'm swear he used the phrase. This was not Mike Bobo. Okay, I mean, if he knows. Well, we don't know if he knows. I don't know. If he I goes mean, to LSU, if he goes to LSU or or get takes a head coaching job, maybe we swung and miss. If he stays at Nichols and we swung and miss, that'd be bad. If he takes a, a comparable job, like a head coaching job at a group of five or like a mid-major, or if he uh, takes a pitching coaching job at, you know, 
LSU or something, that's not horrible. But if he stays at Nichols and we were actually trying to hire him, then yeah, I'll admit that's bad. That's bad. Not a great situation over potentially we don't know for sure again if it's fits justin parker fantastic if somehow it is one of the big time guys currently in omaha fantastic it just right now does not seem great uh you mentioned some portal stuff there was big portal news for mississippi state uh something that has kind of been rumored at for quite some time uh wide receiver rufus harvey is entered his name in the portal now the portal window has closed I don't know the, the specifics on how this works, but Rufus Harvey is moving on from the program. I I don't remember if we hinted at this in the show or not in an episode. It would have been a, over a month ago by now. And a lot of this stuff had been kept in the download, but again, this is pretty much all over Twitter now at this point. So if you're not familiar, uh, basically Rufus Harvey had, yeah, he had really an injury sad. issue during the spring and Basically, one of those types of injuries or issues, med- like medical issues, that kind of puts him at big-time risk, like playing football. And MSU's doctors kind of not going to clear him, not going to play here. And Rufus very clearly thinks he can still play and thinks there could be an opportunity elsewhere to play. So he's going to explore it. I mean, which you understand. I, I do understand it. I also understand a guy like – I, I understand that a guy. I understand want to just both shut sides. it down. No, that's what sure. I mean. Like I understand Rufus more than anything, but like also, if you're Mississippi State, you cannot let somebody play that you aren't 100. percent I mean, if that kid ends up playing for you, and you knew that he was hurt, and something happens, oh my oh, god, yeah, no, no, like no, you're no, done. I, you're done. I understand both sides perfectly. You're you're yeah. correct. Like I mean, it's there is no fault here whatsoever. Like. If I if if somebody told me like I was if I was a college athlete and somebody told me I wasn't playing anymore I would get a second third fourth fifth I'd probably get nine opinions before I actually hung them up. Yeah, it, it, like it from MSU it's a liability standpoint, um, and look just frankly for the betterment of you know one of your players and a guy from the hometown, um, and it sucks. But from from Rufus's standpoint, I, I look I get you still want to play, I. I don't know who the program is going to be. If if an, if an SEC medical staff looked at this guy and said, uh-uh, we're not doing it, I don't know what the program is that's going to be willing to take that risk. I wish him all the best. If he does find an opportunity elsewhere, I hope he's incredible and he doesn't have – he never deals with this issue ever again. But – I mean, that, he's going to have to sign – basically it's going to come down to what – it's going to be like a – if he plays, it's going to be like a lower-tier team where he would make a huge impact. Like I'm talking FCS, and they make him sign a ton of waivers, like an ironclad waiver situation. And then, you know, a team where they're so low profile that the PR storm wouldn't kill them because who cares? I mean, it would be a tragedy and it would blow up, obviously. It would be huge news, but it's not going to, nobody's going to dig into it so hard that they're like, was this the school's fault? Which in today's social media age, maybe there's not a, a place like that, but that's, he's going to have to sign a lot of papers to get to play even if he gets cleared, which I doubt. Right. Uh, and look, again, and also I saw somebody else point out, like Mississippi State did give him an opportunity to like be able to stick on as like a student assistant. So it wasn't like State's just kicking him to the curb. He just – he wants to play, and it wasn't going to happen here I in understand. Starkville. And he might come back and do that. So if he doesn't get anywhere to play. Right. And he, I, I don't I mean, know how – I don't, I don't see how – I don't see him being mad at Mississippi State over this. If he is, that's unreasonable. I – 
Well, I could definitely see it, but it's just because that's a kid being told you're not going to get to do your dream anymore. Like, I'm not going to judge him on that. Um, no, I'm not no. saying he is or isn't. I'm just, I can understand that perspective. And for those um, asking, like, what the medical situation is, is that is not for us to speculate. Yeah, so somebody also, said, oh, I don't it's know. the same thing Cooper like, Manning had. And I'm like, like, we have no clue. It could, any heart, lung, brain, nerve related thing could do this. Okay. Like, there's a, a number of diseases and conditions and injuries that could all result in you not being medical medically cleared to play like literally dozens if not hundreds so let's just not even speculate that's you know as a 20 as a quarter of a doctor i uh obviously am very interested in things like this and i'm also interested in privacy and autonomy so for, even if you know or think you know don't say it and even if and if you want to know don't ask Okay, that's not for us to know. That's not for his medical condition. Is not for public consumption. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything. I, I've seen some of like, the, like you said, the people doing the Cooper Manning speculation thing, but I've, I've I don't know anything. So, uh, unfortunately, sure what Cooper Manning had was an injury, it resulted from an injury. This is an illness, right? But wish him all the best. Uh, Only a little bit of news before we get into the, you know, the big stuff with the schedule talk. Uh, we did get some basketball. Well, obviously, we're talking football scheduling, but we got basketball scheduling news. Uh, Mississippi State's going to participate once again in a Barstool like, tip-off type classic event. Obviously, they did it last year in Philadelphia. Thanks, played, Brandon. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. Um, played up, played against – it was Akron, right, for that game? Uh, yeah, we played Akron. Yeah, played Akron, um, got the win. They're doing it again this year in Chicago, and if you're – not someone who keeps up with the Barstool universe. They are basically moving their main office to Chicago or like most of their people are going over there. So they're doing this in Chicago and they're going to be playing Arizona state. Um, Wait, they're profile. not doing things in New York anymore. They are, but it's like essentially like they've got, they're going to have two main offices. Like they've had, they've always had Chicago, like Barstool Chicago has been a thing for years, yeah. but it's, always been like once it's been like an operation of like yeah, i understand six, I, remember, I know seven brandon people. has to move to chicago most of the big faces are going to chicago um but there's still going to be and a crew arizona the state of arizona is also a barstool stronghold uh they do their bowl game there they do their golf tournament there oh well yeah that, that that's right because rigs down there but so yeah they go in I know Dave's in Miami a lot. Bay, like the part of my take, guys. Obviously, like the biggest, or not. It's actually not the biggest podcast they have, but the best sports podcast like that they put out. Like those guys are all going to Chicago. So basically, there's your inside Barstool information. Last year, if you remember, Mississippi State was sort of the lone power conference team. You actually got some bigger names this time uh, because you're playing Arizona State. So it's a Pac-12 team was in the tournament a year ago, uh, and then also this is not a tournament thing. So you're only playing the one game. But you have FAU fresh off a Final Four run and Illinois-Chicago, who, of course, just a few years ago went to the Final Four. Kind of some heavier hitters in this. Um, Arizona State, uh, just – I'm not doing, like, big-time college basketball breakdowns or anything right now. But going off of John Rothstein, his Rothstein 45, he has the Sun Devils number 42. They lost a lot, though. I looked at their starting lineup. Pretty much every player they had that scored at least nine points a game is gone but one. Um, they're relying on some transfers and some new new faces to kind of be good this year. 
Um, Rothstein, by the way, has State at 29 in his Rothstein 45. Um, and, of course, we, we've talked plenty about State, like, roster-wise should be really good next year and could be a really good team. So, but, like, that that's a, a power conference team who has been a solid program for quite some time now under Bobby Hurley. And they, uh, at least in John Rothstein's eyes, I guess he views the talent as high enough that they could contend for being, like, a – one of the last teams in the field going into next season. So good early the game season shouldn't opponent. hurt your net. Yeah, no, like, and even when, well, even when Arizona state hasn't been great in recent years, they've typically been a decent enough net team. So like, this should be a good opponent for you to kind of gauge where you're at. early. As long year. as every, every non-conference team you schedule that you can beat without hurting or you, that you can beat, but it's not, but losing two, is not going to tank your net is a win? Totally so agree. Like, I don't think I don't think we should schedule Kansas. I mean, I guess you should because one basketball loss to Kansas doesn't really matter. But I'm not going to be like, oh shoot, like, you know, and basketball loss does happen all the time. So maybe that'd be a good thing. But as long as like every time you're not playing Arkansas Pine Bluff, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah. So nice. And of important. course, we'll have the Big Twelve, the or excuse me, the ACC SEC Challenge next year. Correct. I forgot matchups from that have not yet been announced. I know we talked about. I think. Last episode of the episode before, you have a game scheduled with Washington State. Um, so, know some of State's opponents for the upcoming season. Hopefully, they need, you know, I think you expect you need to put together a solid non conference slate with a team that you're looking at as a, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to be talking about non conference games as like resume boosters for the tournament because we expect to get to the tournament. Absolutely. So, a little bit of basketball news uh, here as we're now getting into the summer months. Now, the big news uh, in the college sports universe came out on Wednesday night. The SEC has announced their opponents for the 2024 schedule. We talked about it uh, on the episode a couple weeks ago, how the SEC was taking temporary measures for scheduling. They have not decided on a long-term model. They're sticking with eight games for the 2024 season, even with Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. They're not going up to nine games just yet. But rather than adopting a specific model, for example, the eight-game model they had been discussing was the one plus seven, one permanent rival, seven rotating, and all that stuff. They're not doing that. Um, they are instead just crafting a schedule for each team, uh, trying to balance things out, trying to preserve you know the most important rivalries that they can, and also get Texas and OU mixed in. So they've done that. So, so we don't have one permanent for each team right now no well because okay, they're going to redo it next year I we guess. know so what really the no permanents point. would prop we mostly know what those games would be like ross dellinger has done so much reporting on that where it's kind of like we know what what they would be if they were to happen but it's nothing official just yet um mm-hmm. so uh yeah there's no nothing is set in stone I did, I think the only thing like they tried to make sure every school plays Oklahoma or Texas, but m- most schools do not play both. No one plays if both. any, no one plays both. It which because, is because specifically, like, a, it, like the math has to work out that way. If you're going to bring, you know, you have two teams. If you're going to make sure everyone plays one of them, it splits up half and half. Eight play Texas, eight play Oklahoma. Well, um, like to make sure that everyone plays one of them, that is like. That is a specific measure that limits what you can do otherwise because they that that is a choice that they made to make sure everybody plays one of the new teams. 
Well, so that, that's the thing. We'll talk about the format that they chose. Basically, what they did was they split the league into the top eight and the bottom eight based on the last decade of win percentage. Every team got two game, uh, four games played against the top half, four games played against the bottom half. Every team got two home, Wouldn't... two away against the top half, two home, two away against the bottom half. Aren't we in the? Aren't we like seventh or eighth? I we guess are... if you bring Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, no. When you include Texas, this based on conference win percentage over the past decade, we huh. came in at like tenth, I think. Um, but we would have been eighth without. Mizzou was Texas actually number nine. Mizzou, interestingly enough, was at the top of the uh, at the top of the bottom half. So the top Alabama, who incredibly has like a ninety win percentage in SEC play over the past decade. Yeah. Um, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, yeah, yeah. Uh, Florida, even though they've had some down years mixed in there, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. That's the top half. Bottom half, Missouri, Mississippi State, everybody else. You, you, you know it. Um, but it's just – I just it's unfair. It's not unfair. It doesn't matter. When you include te- – including Texas and Oklahoma and that is faulty, but, I, but it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I get it. If nothing else, they're major brands that have talent on the roster and therefore right. probably fit the, pro- they fit the profile of top half teams. Regardless, um, they built out these schedules for everybody, and Mississippi State has the, has their – I say schedule. It's not a schedule. It is a list of opponents. These games are not put in any kind of an order just yet. But in the 2024 season, Mississippi State's home conference games will be against Florida, Texas A&M, so there are your two top half teams at home. Arkansas and Mizzou, those are your two bottom half teams at home. And then on the road, Georgia, Texas. Again. Those are your two top half teams on the road. Tennessee and Ole Miss as your bottom half teams at uh, on the road. Oh, Obviously, Tennessee's Tennessee, a bottom team. Oh. Because they've been so bad until wow. basically the last two years. So we're even ahead of them. That's crazy. I've mentioned this on the show before, like the whole permanent opponents thing. Like this is Ross Dellinger's reporting. Dellinger did an interview with Saban and Saban basically said, yeah, if they go to three permanents, our permanents are going to be out, you know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU and uh, Tennessee, because they're going to say, we'll give you two from the top and one from the bottom. Well, our one from the bottom is Tennessee. And like that, that's not a fair representation of who Tennessee is. Basically, if Alabama had beaten Tennessee, you wouldn't have heard any of this. But because Tennessee all of a sudden looks good again, having them as a bottom half team isn't fair to Alabama, even though those are their three biggest rivals. They've been playing those three teams every year for the past several decades. Well, they found a way to preserve those games next year. Yeah, no. Oh, and also, Nick Saban complains about that. The SEC says, okay, cool. Here's those three, plus you have to play Georgia, too. Um, So... But they also play Vandy and Mizzou. Yeah, but it's still funny how that flip worked out. And look, Saban's argument, of course, is the permanent opponents should be more balanced from one team to the next because if you're going to have these teams on your schedule every single year, it needs to be even evenly split. That's part of the whole big holdup why we have not yet gone to nine games. But back to this year, again, uh, State's home games, they got Florida, A&M, Arkansas, Mizzou, road games against Georgia, Tennessee, Texas, and Ole Miss. The reaction has been, and I contributed, man, that's tough. And it's very I, funny. I, it's fine, though. Like, I'm not 
it's not that tough. It's fine. Well, okay, I, I'm about to get into that. But it is very funny how so much of the narrative around the expansion, like the, the, the spin zone that Mississippi State fans have had for while, while, why the expanded SEC will not be tougher on Mississippi State is, well, all this means is that it's more likely that we don't have to play Alabama and LSU every single year. So that means it's better for us. We get to play more of the East teams, more teams we can beat up on. It's true, but it also means you're playing Georgia more frequently. And – you're yeah. playing either Florida or Tennessee more frequently, whichever one of them is up at any given time. You're not. It's kind of an even trade. Like you're not gonna. Uh, you're not gonna. There's not an easy schedule in the SEC. Okay, but for me, I just think the numbers on the helmet at Alabama get are get, there's just get something about that ghost of Bear Bryant or whatever from Mississippi State. I say that we beat the Bear, but I think swapping them. Not playing them is not going to hurt my feelings at all. And no, you're going to have – there is no universe where we get an easy schedule. And quote-unquote easy schedule. You can get a more favorable schedule than others. Like, we could have gotten shafted. I don't think we did. Like, this year coming up, we have a favorable schedule. That could happen every now and then. But you're never going to have an easy schedule, you know. So, I don't think it's a huge deal. It, it's not a huge deal. But it it is very funny how much – like, people kept saying, actually, this could be good for MSU because you don't have to play those teams as much, kind of ignoring the fact that, okay, but you're still going to have to play Georgia more. Like, there's still a trade. And I get it. It's Maybe it's just, like, literally because of the logo, it's a different perspective for Mississippi State playing, even though Georgia is, frankly, better now. But, yeah. Regardless. Um, I mean, theoretically, though, there is a year where you can avoid Bama and Georgia. Right, but that means you have to get them at the same. There's season. a scenario where you don't play the one. At some point, I think that I, th- I for one, I think when they do like the like, if they were going to do the eight and one and do it on a rotating system to where it's like a pattern, that we should ha- play Bama and Georgia on the road in the same year, and then just try to not line that up with our talent cycle year. And yeah, there's a year every four years where you schedule two losses, pretty much. But there's a year after that where you don't play either one of them and you get some favorable home games, and then like then you can go 10-2, I think that's what we should do, but that's just me. Yeah, me and Dan specifically discussed your theory on that and why both of us disagree. Um, but I mean, the only way it doesn't work is if your talents, your upswing talent cycle year doesn't line up with that, then you're in trouble. Like if your upswing talent cycle year is the year you have to go to Bama, to Georgia, then you're wasted. Basically, okay, in short, my argument has been that regardless of how favorable you view the other matchups, Mississippi State is still – there is not an opponent on the SEC slate other than Vanderbilt that Mississippi State is ever looking at as a, okay, that almost certainly should be a win. Overall, obviously there are singular years where a team like Missouri or Arkansas, you say, like, yeah, we should beat them. But overall, like, those are programs that, like, kind of are in a similar tier, kind of toss-up games. I don't want to bank on saying, well, we want to take all of our losses in this one year so that next year we can have a better season by playing these more favorable games when, well, even then, it may you may still split those games. So I, I think – I mean, again, out. my theory only works is if, like, your 2014, your 2018 season, like, is on the right track, you know? So, and admittedly, they would, that will not happen. Like, we, our luck, it would be completely backwards. So, I'm, 
I don't think they should do it. It would be nice, though, to me. Going to the tw- uh, 2024 schedule, um, it, it, like obviously it is, is it is still difficult, but I know the Thunder and Lightning guys, they made the point that really it's not that much tougher than it typically has been. And, and they're yeah, right. If you, actually, if you go through team, team by team, it really isn't that different the way it would normally be. In fact, if you think about it, if you kept the normal schedule rotation 2020 that you've been playing, 2024 you would have been at Alabama, at LSU, at Kentucky, at Ole Miss. All right. You're switching Georgia for Bama. You're switching or switching Bama for Georgia, switching LSU for Tennessee, switching Kentucky for Texas, which frankly, Kentucky's been a slightly more consistent program in recent years. And also, even if Texas is sealing is higher, we kind of know what happens every time Mississippi State goes to Lexington. So it's basically a loss, anyways. That's crazy, man. I can't believe that has become somewhere we can't win. I grew up never losing to them. Like, as soon as Dan Mullen got here, we did not lose to them. Like, we went, like, four in a row up there. Anyway, keep going. And then the Egg Bowl is the Egg Bowl. So, really, the schedule is not actually that different than it would be in a typical even-numbered year for Mississippi State. It's, it's cool, just... though. I think it's cooler. Like, it's the same difficulty but cooler. You get to go to Austin. That's awesome. You get to go to Knoxville again. Athens again. That's not cool. But eventually we'll see, like, the Oklahoma, the Texas Longhorns come out of the tunnel at Davis Way. Like, that's crazy. Um, Speaking of also, that. Also, I noticed that it, it is weird. I think Brian and Robbie said this, that Florida – we're Florida, we didn't go to Florida and Tennessee didn't come here versus, like, recency. But then, like, the whole thing, I was like, well, yeah, I, I think they're not in the same, you know, 18 tier, which means that you can't just swap them. Yeah, they, they actually are not. Um. So they would have had to have moved other parts around. And there is still some weird scheduling, scheduling quirks. Um, listening to the College Football Inquirer today, they made the point that Texas uh, Texas A&M has still not hosted Georgia since joining the SEC. Yeah. They have, they have played them once. It was in Athens a couple of years ago. And it's like you I – th- I think you would have thought it would have been like no-brainer. Like, all right, Georgia goes to College Station. But no. It's not happening. Like there, there was the point that Georgia will visit uh, Austin before they will visit College Station when the Aggies have been in the conference for over a decade now. Um, so, like, and speaking of Georgia, like Georgia Bama, like they played in Tuscaloosa just a couple years ago. They're playing in Tuscaloosa again in 2024. Like Bama hasn't been to Athens since 2015. So, you like, there's the weird sweat scheduling quirks across the schedule. It, it's Hopefully, but, this stuff I mean, they were hamstrung. Like, you can't, for example, you can't play the Egg Bowl at home. You can't play it in Starkville next year. So that limits you there. And then, well, now, okay, now you only have three more road games for Mississippi State. Same thing with like Alabama. They kept Tennessee, kept Auburn, kept LSU, where you have to flip those games from last year, from 2023. So now that limits where you, well, they can put their home and away games. And then that trickles to every single schedule. So, like, there's only so much, like, there's only so much they can do. Correct. They they made it. They specifically stated that they would not force any team to have to make consecutive road trips to the same place from 2023 to 2024. So it's fun, whatever. The schedule rotation is about to get significantly better. You're right. For it, it, like it's a lot of unique opponents for Mississippi State. Now you mentioned some of those road trips. That's kind of the other big takeaway people have is that the road slate slate is brutal, and your home slate kind of is mid, and but like that. 
on the one oh, hand, I'm glad that we can win those. I mean, those are winnable games at home. I don't care. That is play. my take on it. So, like, I don't from the care. From the perspective on selling season tickets, I get it. Like, they're you're, the games you're banking on being big that year because your Power 5 non-conference game is Arizona State, but you're playing that on the road. Um, yeah. The games you're banking on being big are Florida or Texas A&M. And Florida, no idea what they're going to be. Texas A&M, they're kind of a wild card as well. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, what these teams theoretically could be for, for that season, trying to project a full year ahead. Um, so, like, the home games do not jump off the page. You don't have many games the fans are going to get excited for. Yeah. I get from it, like, you want to have those atmospheres at home. I mean, it, to be fair, though, they're going to make up for that this this upcoming year having eight home games and a fantastic home slate like as terms of like brand power sure um and like so, having I mean, all of those tough games on the road like i get i think the fan perspective is always you want the big games to be played at home here's the thing though and colton kind of just mentioned this from no, a, you want your toss-ups at home from a wins perspective it is better to have the games that are the more toss-up games being played on your home turf. Right. And you want I, to play Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt as often as possible. And you want to play Georgia and Bama at their place. Cause you're going to win the Vanderbilt game. Anyway, you're going to lose the Georgia and Alabama game. Anyway, that means more toss up games are at your gym. That's what you want. Absolutely. Correct. And again, I understand there's a side of that where fans are like, well, that's just loser thinking that we can't win the game. And look, totally. I understand that in your best year, in your best years, yeah, you do want those games at home because, like, the two best home atmospheres I, I went to as a fan were 2017 LSU and Bama. And State's home atmosphere, like, I think they would have beaten LSU in Death Valley that year the way that game played out. But, like, it made it be a blowout and not just a win. And it gave them a chance against Alabama. Well, we won – I mean, we won that game if it's officiated correctly. So Correct. Like, so, like, it, it does help. But how often are you getting that set up? I mean, like, I, people forget that 2017 game. Alabama had their every single linebacker hurt. Correct. And we and were running the football ran, and ran right at him, and it worked. I mean, um, I mean that's that's that was a rare chance that the that the SEC official officiating crew blew for us. Yeah. And Todd Grantham and Dan Mullen also could have some blame for blowing that game. But I'm trying to be I'm trying to be less less of a grudge person. Going at some old wounds there. Those scenarios are great, but it don't you don't get them that frequently. Most of the time, you're absolutely losing to Alabama, and you're probably losing to LSU. I get you've made that game more competitive, and you've won a few times recently. I also I think going forward, now that Brian Kelly's there, I think they're about to get legit once again. You're you're losing that in game. the NIL area. LSU is going to be good at every sport. Yeah. So if it's going to be a loss. It's better so for that to be so. on the road so that you get other games at home that you have a better chance of winning. And I look at that home slate. Arkansas is usually a toss-up game. At least I know State's kind of run that series recently, but the last few years, it's a toss-up game. You get it in Starkville. Yeah. Missouri, I don't have – I think it's a team State should beat most seasons, but the, Mizzou kind That's of – That's about that the only other team that I almost wish it was on the road. Yeah, Missouri's especially because that road atmosphere is not in that road atmosphere is not intimidating, um, but – and I also think they could be – there's a chance they could be looking for a new coach in 2024. I don't know for sure, though. Um, Texas A&M uh, – Texas A&M at home is fantastic, though. I mean, that 
I know we've owned that series, but we have been much better at home than at College Station. And then Florida, where Florida has a brutal schedule in 2024. If y'all saw that go around, like their SEC slate's tough, and then their non-conference, obviously they always play FSU. They're playing Miami, and they're playing UCF. Oh, and the FCS team they're playing is Samford, who, if you remember a couple years ago, put 50 on them. Uh, how are they? How are they playing them again? Like I don't. I'm sure they. Sanford has like, consistently done that. Do not schedule them. They 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 hung with Georgia. They've done it to Dan Mullen twice. <laughs> they did it to us. Well, they did it to us, and then they hung with Georgia last year. Quit scheduling them. Like stop it. Uh, well, okay. They they didn't hang with Georgia. Chris it was, Hatcher. It, it it was a game at at in the second quarter, which is right, insane. Do, do you want to know like the deal there? I think it's I think it's specifically Chris Hatcher, obviously the head coach there, former air raid guy, well still an air raid guy. We talked about him potentially being OC. I think Hatcher gave Kirby Smart his first job out of college, or at least somebody on that program gave Kirby his first job. That was kind of one of those like the insiders were like, Georgia's not going to blow them out because Kirby's going to be respectful to like the guy who gave him his shot. That's what happened there. Okay, so, okay. Stanford had a lead in the first quarter. That wasn't okay. You gotta have control of the game before you do that. I don't know. I would quit scheduling Sanford. It's that air raid, man. It's a not a bad offense. I would have um, hired him. But uh, oh god, yeah. So Flor- Florida, like, I don't think they're firing Billy Napier after this year. I think it'd be. I think even if they suck again, I think it'd be a mistake to fire him. I think they need to. They should give him multiple seasons. Um. But, you know, Florida could be an iffy situation going into that year. So those are games that you get at home that you get an opportunity. And then the road slate, I mean, a few of these teams, like, yeah, they're probably going to be losses. But a couple of those teams, it's not full. Because, like, and this is just what I looked at, flipping through the Athlon magazine, looking at their projected depth charts, just trying to gauge what will the returning experience be like for 2024, which is impossible to know because you still have some guys with COVID years. You still have guys who are going to choose to come back. But just kind of getting an idea based on how many upperclassmen they're starting. Georgia is what it is. I don't. I didn't even look at Georgia. I don't care. It's Georgia. Texas, Tennessee, Missouri, and Ole Miss are all going to lose a lot. Like, I'm yeah. on the record that Texas, I think, should be good this year. Um, like, Texas should, in theory, be back. A lot of those guys are probably going to be gone next year, though. And the quarterback next year will probably be Arch Manning. Um Tennessee, losing a lot of experience. They're also going to be another new quarterback because it's going to be one year of Milton, and then they're going to go on to that five-star kid that they got from a couple of years, like last year, Nico. Uh, Missouri, they're losing a lot off both sides of the ball after this season, which for a program like Mizzou is a bigger deal. And then Ole Miss, they're going to have Judkins again because he's a true sophomore this season. So obviously that's a threat, and you know they might still have Dart. But a lot of the other pieces are going to be gone. Now, obviously with Lane, we know how that goes. It's just going to portal, but – they're, they're losing a lot of experience. Florida and Arkansas are going to be fairly experienced. Um, assuming Napier doesn't get canned after this year, Florida should have most of their guys back next season or in 2024. Arkansas will have a lot of guys back, but they are going to be losing K.J. Jefferson. I would assume they probably lose Rocket Sanders because I think he would leave early. Um, but they'd have a lot of – so, I mean, that, those are big losses, but they would probably have most of their guys back. Texas A&M is the total wild card. Here's why. I saw this. There was a point that was made uh, that A&M's home slate that season, they get Notre Dame, Texas, and I think 
LSU, some of them like that, as home games in 2020. It should be LSU because they played it there. They played it at home for against LSU last year. So yeah. So they have a A and M has a very difficult schedule, but they get those three hope high profile matchups at home. This is also going to be the third season. If you remember A and M, their number one recruiting class, that's the junior year for those players. A and M, in theory, in 2024. Could be really good, but there is a caveat to this. They have to be decent this year because if they're not, then there's a chance that there's a coaching change and things fall to pieces. And if that happens, I guarantee you that roster will be decimated, even with all the NIL deals, because technically those NIL deals cannot be contractually binding to keep you at a school. Like it's that is against the rules. Those kids can go elsewhere, even if they took the money. Say what you will about AM, but those kids are still big time recruits. Every major program in the country will be coming after all those defensive linemen, all those receivers, all the big time players that they got for that number one class will be gone if there is a if this season goes poorly. I'm telling you right now. So essentially what I'm telling you is pray that Petrino and Fisher just explode with Steve Adazio there to just kind of light the flames and make it even worse on everybody. If AM struggles again this year, and like I think they could be terrible. I, I don't think, I don't think you'll fire him because the con the con I mean they have to be like three and nine to fire him. Because the contract and knowing dude, that. Dude, I think they year, will they find them, really good. Point, I don't I think if they are worth like six and six or worse, <sighs> yeah. They will find I guess a way so, to make it happen. Because like you don't have any confidence that even with that roster in twenty twenty four that you're gonna do anything with it. Because it's not like I mean, they're all sophomores this year, so they're not you know, studs, but you should be talented enough to not go six and six. So, yeah, they probably also the solution that would be great for all parties, but won't happen because Jimbo's still going to want his buyout. Jimbo's from West Virginia. Neil Brown is kind of a dead man walking there. Um, I don't see him keeping no his job. West that Virginia fires Neil Brown, and they just sort of make an agreement like, "Hey, we'll let you go. We won't." And we don't need the buyout or anything. You can just go to West Virginia. Let it, we'll just move on. We'll mutually split. That's kind of like the dream scenario for all parties there, but I don't think that'll happen. No. So A&M, again, is a total wild card. A&M, like, legitimately has an opportunity 2024 for to them to be, like, maybe their best team under Jimbo. But they, that hinges on this season being solid. And, look, a couple of years ago, 2020 was going to be the year that was set up for them to be really good, and they were. Like they were legit, like they were a game, like right there on the number five team. They just got left out of the playoffs. So, for everything we've said about Jimbo, when the pieces are together, his teams tend to deliver. It's just the pieces have not been together the last few years. It, I mean, I, honest to God, if he keeps his fingerprints off the offense, they there's nothing stopping them from being good. Oh, yeah. No, I think Bobby Petrino will find a way to make that stuff work. Like they've got really good receivers. Connor Wegman's a talented quarterback. O-line, I think, is fairly experienced. Um, you know, they that offense could be good. But obviously, it's just a ticking time bomb there. Like, I expect them to have a decent bounce back this season. I'm not predicting them to have a great year, but I think they'll be solid. Um, so, yeah, you, you go through those games, but basically the point I'm making here is you have a lot of opportunities, even with some of those road games. Like, Ole Miss, like – the, the egg ball on the road, we've talked about it. Six of the last eight years, the, the road team has won. And I like I don't think the home road split really matters at all at that point at this point in that game. So 
That schedule is going to be tough, but everybody's schedule is going to be tough. And I think MSU it can be semi-manageable. But obviously, the thing if I'm talking about these teams and their experience, MSU is probably losing a lot next year. Um, you know, I get some of those guys have COVID years, like Will Rogers. If he wants a fifth season, he can have it. But I expect, like, I think you're gonna you're gonna lose like most of your starters up front. Probably losing Will. Probably losing a few receivers. Uh, losing Woody Marks. And defensively, that front set your secondary is going to be really experienced because they're obviously inexperienced this year. But your front seven is going to be very inexperienced. Or front six going to be super inexperienced. So MSU is going to have a bit of a reset next year as well. But uh, just some things to keep in mind uh, looking ahead to that twenty twenty four slate. Close out the show, and I added this topic in because this is how dumb I am. I do this show every single week, and I see how long we go on just a couple topics, and then I still think, well, let me add something else just to give us a little bit of a different flair. This shouldn't take too long, though. We're going to play a little game. Um, if you are a listener of Split Zone Duo, uh, a great college football pod put on by Stephen Godfrey, who I know Mississippi State fans just love. So, uh, Go ahead. So this game, I just realized, you know the answers to these questions. I'm not I'm playing the game. You're playing. I'm playing the game. Okay. Stephen yeah, Godfrey, just, Alex just so you know, this, and Richard if this, if this Johnson. Bit, if this bit, if this bit isn't good, it's it's not on me. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I bet it'll be fun. So, Godfrey, uh, along with Split Zone Duo, he writes for Athlon for their preseason magazine, and the big thing he does is coach gossip, where he goes and gets assistant coaches from various conferences and sits them down and asks, you know anonymously give me your opinion on all of these other programs. And uh, it's, it's great to get, you get a coach's insight of the team that he's going up against. And it's a really good part of the Athlon magazine, like probably like the best thing they have going for him is you get those little tidbits to see what coaches think. Um, just for example, I might've read this on the podcast because I talked about MSU in Athlon. An anonymous SEC coach assistant. Zach Arnett is a guy a lot of people are really high on, and he was a smart pick to take over, but he's definitely put the transition on hard mode. I think the logic was that you can't run a Mike Leach system or a Leach-type system without Mike or one of his OC guys, so he went in a completely different direction. The problem is that there's a ton of staff turnover, and now you don't have the talent level and personnel to run anything else, at least for this season. They need to message expectations and probably manage uh, and build the new offensive identity. The app guy, uh, Kevin Barbe, is solid, but they're going to struggle at first. The defense might look really different, too. Leach never cared what you did as long as you got the ball back. Turnovers and touchdowns were fine, just not a 10-play drive. Arnett will have a lot more freedom. Obviously, I don't agree with all of that assessment, like the bits and pieces of it, but we have talked about that there's a chance that this season there could be some struggles early on with the transition and because of the chose decision you chose chose to make there. So that's just a little tidbit of what we're going to do. Stephen Godfrey on his podcast, what he's been do, uh, on the Patreon feed for Split Zone Duo, which I am a uh, patron to because it's really good content, five bucks a month, and you get some really cool stuff. Um, for example, they, just, they do a series called Dead Letters where they take a look at the history of various college football programs that were either once great or and then fell off or had the potential to be great and never were, and explain why. And they just did one about our friends to the north. Uh, really good episode stuff. So go, go subscribe, go be a patron. But last couple episodes Godfrey has done, uh, 
just him himself is a coach gossip quiz where they take these quotes, obviously you change it up so that you can't just based on clues, know exactly who it is, like exact phrases, give you a few options. And then you guess what, who the option was, who was talking about. Um, and it's, you know, fun to kind of just test your college football knowledge of these various teams. It's a really fun thing. I'm going to steal it. I'm stealing from SCD for this episode. And we're going to do it for Mississippi State. Three of MSU's opponents for the 2023 season. This can be in conference. This can be out of conference. Anyone on the schedule is fair game. We're only going to do three, though, because it's tough to, like, make the options work for all of these teams to where it's not obvious who it actually is. So it's kind of limited. And we don't have a ton of time. So we're only going to do three. But I'm going to read a quote about a team. And Colton, and obviously you listening at home, I'm going to give you ABC, which team are we talking about here? Or which team is the assistant coach talking about? These are opponents on Mississippi State's schedule for 2023. So first, the change in offensive coordinator is going to be a huge swing for them, even with the quarterback off to the NFL. They're going back to a different SEC era, one that you'd expect from that coach to want to do. Find wrinkles and formations and new age stuff to run the ball, control the clock, and help the defense. If the QB transfer hits, they're going to be as good as they've been in recent years. No one talks about they are how they are in the portal. This is not a portal roster, but if you want the system long-term. They want you in the system long-term. But they sneak out and plug position needs really well, uh, like one of their receivers in the receiver before him. They're going to fight to be one of the better teams in the league. Are we talking about A, Alabama, B, we don't play Kentucky. them. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We're talking talk about 2024. We're talking about 2023. Okay. 2023. A, Alabama. B, Kentucky. C, Ole Miss. Hmm. So, Ole Miss doesn't have a new OC this year. So, that's not Ole Miss. Kentucky has a new OC, but it's the same OC that was there two years ago. I do. Hmm. They say that receiver. I mean, I didn't say where he was from. It, it in the quote they mentioned where the guy was from, but I, and frankly, I don't think you would get. I'm not saying this talking trash. I don't think you would get this, but it might give it away for someone else. So I left out the school the player came from. This program has taken a transfer receiver the last couple of seasons who have been good players for them. This Kentucky. Kentucky took a transfer receiver from Ohio State last year, and it was really worked worked really well. It is Kentucky. They did not take a receiver from Ohio State. <laughs> well, He transferred from Ohio State to them. Well, no, okay. They might have a receiver from Ohio State. The receiver they were talking about is from Virginia Tech. And then the guy before this that This year? Was... So – I'm talking about last year or the Nebraska. year before. Wandell Robinson was Nebraska. The, he's from Nebraska? Okay. Well, I was close enough. But also, if you're talking about transfers, like that would have applied for Alabama too. A lot of that, I think, works for Alabama. The idea of a new OC coming in, they're going to run the ball, try to play defense, transfer receivers, quarterback off to the NFL. Um, that, that Ole Miss, a lot of that applies. But obviously, the, the you mentioned you caught the offensive coordinator part, why it's not Ole Miss. Also, they talk about this is not a portal team. Ole Miss is a portal team. Well, also, Ole Miss doesn't have a quarterback to the NFL. Ole Miss returns their quarterback. 
Uh, you should have said Tennessee. Well, we don't play Tennessee. That's right. Okay. I keep, I'm hung up on the 2024 thing. Keep going. That, and again, this is where it gets tough, where if you can make more in the actual episode, they were able to have more options because they weren't doing it for any particular opponents. So you could, what he did yeah. was they only picked teams from one conference to make it a little easier, but. Go all ahead. right. Number two. They're going to be a really solid team. Hold on, hold on. Talk to your mic. I can't hear you. Sorry, sorry. They're going to be a really solid team moving forward. They have one of the smartest, most experienced staffs, and they've been given a lot of room to build it right. They've signed some better defensive players out of state who might be better than any of the starters they had last year. From what we know, they're building a pretty solid NIL system to, to compete, but they're trying to stay pretty low profile and make it more about culture. This might be the most lopsided team in the league. The offense has an identity, and they've got some really talented pieces. But nobody outside of the, outside of their area knows the star because they had a losing record. Defense is terrible. Credit to them for not flooding the portal, and I think that shows the school is okay with taking their time. I screwed oh, this I know up. Who, this is. who is it? Arizona. So I screwed this up because I mentioned I was supposed to leave out the losing record part. That's the other thing is I'm leave, leaving a few pieces out because there's a few things that would just give it away. If I had left well, that I, out, I was ready to. I was ready to get it when you said the offense and defense are like night and day different because like the, they're going to be like they're going to score thirty five points a game at least, but they're going to give up maybe forty. <laughs> so the, I also had Ole Miss in there, and I I specifically said offensive players big like for them it mentions quarterback, but for Ole Miss you could, if if you just say offensive player you could have made it Judkins like because which Judkins like kind of does fly fly under the radar a little bit. So I screwed that up for you at home by. Mentioning the deep, like deep, deep part. This is where me reading it on, on the fly, uh, or the losing record part. This is where me reading on the fly doesn't make it work. Um, but hey, we're, ha we're having a little bit of fun with it. All right, last one. A coach is a rising star. It's not like the last time they were good, uh, but they're making more noise than they have at any pre uh, previous point. Um, QB is inconsistent. Can they lock him in and keep productive? That OC has a wild resume, some NFL stuff, some Bryles air raid stuff. Okay, I got to interject here. I'm I was very mad at this OC when I heard him say this, and he said Bryles air raid because Bryles does not run the air raid. Uh, those offenses are not the same. Anyway, lost a lot on defense. Hard to plug them in as a for sure top team when they're dropping portal guys on defense to power programs. What they did last uh, last couple of years could be a launching point for them, but they have to manage the swing. That's the secret when you're a non-traditional power. Coach can make them run through a wall, but the trick is to win the games you're supposed to and not have that typical weird loss. Are we talking about Auburn, Ole Miss, or South Carolina? Oh. Yeah, I was lost because I was thinking it was Arkansas. Did they mention any new coaches? Offensive coordinator, which, crap. That does eliminate one of the options here. Yeah. So again, no more Ole Miss. Ole Miss has been the dummy choice in all of these. So Ole Miss, and you said because a lot of these Auburn pieces, South Carolina. Them. I'm going to say I'm. I think it's South Carolina because I think Auburn. Like it talks about them being good, like it was ancient history, and Auburn was good in 2019. Got it. So South I'm going to say South Carolina. Okay. I'm three, uh, their new three, OC, I'm so Dow Loggins, was at Arkansas the past couple of years. That's where he – he has a pro-style background, but obviously he worked alongside Kendall Bryles. So that's where, you know, he would have mm -hmm. that stuff mixed in. Um, 
Yeah. Kendall Browse Air Raid. Yeah, very annoying how they did that. Fun little game to play. Um, you guys should definitely, if you go become a patron for SCD and listen to those episodes to get a little taste, but um, just something to do. We wanted to throw something else in here at the end of the show. Uh, and my Zoom's about to run out, so I'm just going to close it here and not have a great transition at the end. So uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Colton, for hopping on at last minute. And as always, swing your sword. Hail State.